Good morning, church family. When my uh, daughter was, uh, Hannah, was about 15, she went out to California to visit her brother, who was attending Pepperdine University at the time, and the university is right there on the ocean. So one of Dan's friends, Chad, took Hannah surfing, and she weighed about uh, 100 pounds soaking wet. And uh, she is in a wetsuit that was uh, probably way too big for her, and she said that was a, an event in and of itself, getting that on. And then uh, Chad said, okay, I'm going to, you grab a hold of this rope, and I am going to help you get out into the ocean far enough to catch a wave. And uh, he told her, you just swim like crazy. And so she did that, and the ocean the breakers just beat her, persistently pummeled her progress. And it got to the point where she started to panic, and she thought she was going to drown, and she was sure a moment or two there that where she was going to die. And in fact, I suspect she was also humbled, or maybe we would say humiliated, as she was 15 and Chad was this handsome college guy. And she said about this event, she said, I was so disappointed because I had this romantic vision of surfing and I never made it past the breakers that kept hitting the shore again and again. What a fun day of surfing. Now, I want to suggest this morning that uh, Hannah is not the only one to get beaten by the breakers. And in fact, I would say for various reasons, who among us is not asking, how do I get past the breakers? so I can actually catch the surf. And the word I want to point us to this morning is the word Buffett. Not Warren Buffett or Jimmy Buffett, but to be buffeted by the waves. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and beginning with verse 7, or because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to, and the NIV translates it this way, torment me. To torment means to buffet. This is what the waves were doing to Hannah. This is what the thorn in the flesh was doing to Paul. To beat him with the fist, to treat with excessive force, to punish, to afflict are the definitions of that word, torment or buffet. The same word is used when Jesus is on the cross and he is being struck by the Roman soldiers with their fists. 
You see, and Paul, while he was in ministry, saw this as no temporary or transitory problem. In other words, the breakers kept coming. They kept coming. They kept coming. And at times, he is fighting for his life. And you only have to read the book of Acts to see how he would enter one city after another and get himself in trouble. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 11, the text says this, To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty, and we are in rags, and we are brutally treated. That's our word, buffet, tormented, brutally treated, and then he says even homeless. You see, like Hannah, Paul describes his thorn as just, as just weakening him, and he was often drained, and he was discouraged Many, many times. He relays this again to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and said that he even despaired of life. He was worn out, he was tired to the bone, and he often felt helpless. Now we might back up and ask ourselves, well, what is this thorn in the flesh? What is this torment? What is this buffeting? And some of think that uh, Paul is talking about a physical ailment, and in fact, we can make a pretty good argument from Scripture that that's the case, that uh, some say, well, maybe it's malaria or epilepsy. Uh, there are several passages that suggest that, that it's his eyesight. Let me just read a couple of those. In Galatians chapter 4, in verse 15, Paul says this, for I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Now, why would he have used this uh, very unusual statement had his eyes not been a concern? He says something again in the book of Galatians at the end of the book in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 19. He says, see with what large letters I am writing this to you with my own hand. You see, normally a scribe wrote Paul's letters, and here he is writing it, and he's using large letters. Was this an indication of a sight problem? However, if you look at the surrounding context in the book of 2 Corinthians, a solid argument can be made that uh, his weakness does not mean sickness. Now, even though I just argued that way, I'm saying here's a counter-argument. One chapter earlier, Paul uses this exact terminology of glorying in his infirmities or his weaknesses. And in that description, where he uses that term, you will see imprisonments and lashes and shipwrecks and stonings. So the list, many scholars suggest, refer to his persecution, his persecution as this, this torment, this buffeting. You see, could this messenger of Satan be sent to continuously stir up persecution against Paul? Now, I want to say this morning that we cannot know precisely and uh, what that allows us to do is to apply this passage to many, many different areas of our own life where we're feeling the effects of breaker after breaker after breaker. 
Now, Paul says there was a specific reason behind his torment, behind his buffeting. And he says this, to keep me from becoming conceited. I don't know if you have a problem like that. But Paul had some amazing revelations from God, of God, of God's truths. And he was prone on account of that to think too much of himself, to think too much of his own insights, and uh, maybe even too much of his own experiences. And he was tempted to pride or to think of himself as overly important. So you see, conceit is the opposite of what? I'm going to suggest here we are in our series, that it is the opposite of what you see in the J-curve. In other words, the word conceit means to raise or to lift up above or over, to lift up oneself, and God is using the thorn so that Paul could learn that he could practice the going down of the J-curve to keep him from getting a big head, to save Paul from himself. Our biggest problem as well. You see, naturally like uh, Jesus, Paul, Paul's first response when he was tormented, when he was buffeted again and again, is to ask God to remove it, to get rid of it. And in fact, uh, similar to Jesus... He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. And that prayer is very similar to when Christ was in the garden. What did he do? He asked God to remove the cup from him. And then the disciples fall asleep and he goes away. And a second time he asks for the cup to be taken away. And then uh, he comes back and he finds them sleeping, the disciples sleeping again. And he leaves them a third time and he prays the third time for the cup to be removed. Well, did God remove it? No. Sorry. God speaks this truth to Jesus, to Paul. Verse 9a. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect. Think of the J-curve in weakness. You see, it's at the bottom of the J that God says, I'm going to deliver you from evil but not in the way that you might think. God says, I'm not going to take the evil away. This does not mean that we don't stand for right and truth and aren't, we need to be passionate about, about justice and about righteousness. And, and we, we, we do those things and we should do them, but we must do everything we can for God to bring about His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We're commanded to do that. We want to do that in obedience to God. However, God says, I am going to use what is on the outside to change 
you on the inside. And so if you think about our J-curve diagram, in this passage, Paul is down low in his self-confidence. His conceit has been stripped. And it's at the bottom of the J-curve where he cries out to God. And if he's like many of us, mostly because we've run out of options, that's when we look up. And it's at that point that he prays to God and he begs God for help. And when we can't do life on our own anymore, this now is when both Paul and we are most like Jesus. Remember John chapter 5 and verse 19 where Jesus says, The Son can do nothing by Himself. He can do only what He sees His Father doing. Even the Son of Man is completely dependent on God His Father. If this is true for Jesus, isn't this when you also are most like Jesus? When you are at your lowest, when you're most dependent, when you are buffeted beyond your capacity. So I want to say this. Often God doesn't stop the buffeting. Rather, God uses it for our identification with Christ himself. Let me for just a minute approach this more personally. This whole section tells us that my self-satisfied arrogance and yours as well really reeks. It smells like I've been dumpster diving, crawling around all morning in the old trash. And you know what? Sometimes I can't even see it in myself. And I would suggest that you can't see it very well in yourself. And you can't smell it anymore, but man, can everybody else smell it. So you see, you're not as strong as you think, and you're not as infallible as you believe, and you are not as adequate as you pretend, and you are not as all-knowing as you portray, and you might be good at hiding some things to convince us that you have it together, but our Lord knows better. And you have a thorn in your flesh because you are a human being, and you are not God. Don't forget that it's not about you. Don't forget that you are not God. Don't forget what God is doing in you. You see, the crux is this. We must refuse the temptation to lift ourselves but choose to die and allow God to do the lifting. There are no passage of Scripture that contradict this principle. As hard as it is to hear, 
and as difficult it is to practice. Let me say it again. You must refuse the temptation to lift yourself, but choose to die and allow God to do the lifting. And it is so difficult because it's built in within us that we despise weakness. And guess what? The world around us despises weakness. Weakness wins no awards. And going low with the J-curve means accepting, even confessing, even eagerly confessing your weaknesses. You see, verse 10 says this. Paul says, I delight. What a word choice. I delight in my weaknesses. How about you? My approach, unless I catch myself, is I deny my weaknesses. And I certainly hide them from you. And I might whine about my circumstances. And I might even be tempted to curse God because of my situation. Or I might be tempted to grow bitter because... Uh, other, uh, toward others because of my experiences. And Paul says, I delight in those weaknesses. This is the mark of a faith that to use the teaching from last week not only believes in Christ, but suffers with Him to move from first base, believing to second and third in home, suffering with him. God's power, the text says, is made complete in our weakness, in our inadequacy, in our failures, in our helplessness, in our inability to measure up. And when Paul caught this mental map of the J-curve, when, he, when, he, when, he, when it dawned on him, when he understood it, he was unstoppable. His world and the world was turned upside down. You see, because weakness becomes his boast. And when he boasts, he boasts of Jesus Christ. Let me state it this way in one statement, and then I'll illustrate. Confess your weaknesses. Do it today, do it now, do it this week, do it this, the next time those breakers overwhelm you. Confess your weaknesses so that the gift of Christ is fresh again. Confess your weaknesses so the gift of Christ is fresh again. Now I've referred to... Johnny Erickson Tata a couple of times in this series, but she illustrates the, these points so well. I want you to listen. Her thorn in the flesh is a broken body. And a few years ago, she celebrated her 50th year in a wheelchair. And when she got cancer a few years before, she had said this. It is very hard to go on. I mean, privately, I've wondered, gee, Lord, is this cancer my ticket to heaven? Because I sure am tired of sitting in a wheelchair 
and my body is aching, and I am so weary. And Paul Miller writes about Johnny Erickson Tata, but no, the rest of us needed to see the beauty of Jesus in her a little bit longer. So at her 50th anniversary, celebrating her wheelchair, time in her wheelchair, she wrote this. Now this is the J-curve, not only for Johnny, but for Paul and for you and me. Suffering, this was her buffeting, her torment, keeps knocking me off my pedestal of pride. My displaced hip and scoliosis are sheepdogs that constantly snap at my heels driving me down the road to Calvary to the bottom of the J-curve where I die to the sins Jesus died for. Do you hear that, church? This is the insight of the mature believer. Where I die to the sins Jesus died for. And sure, I have a long way to go before I am whom God destined me to be in His glory. But thankfully, my paralysis keeps pushing me to strive to reach for that heavenly prize, to be lifted, to rise again in the J-curve. This week, I'd love to hear from you in terms of how you are practicing this truth of Scripture, to believe on Him, to suffer with Him, to, uh, in your weakness, in your dependency, in your paralysis in your helplessness to when the breakers are coming over you again and again and again to confess your weaknesses so that the gift of Christ is fresh again.